I'm smart. I'm smart. Today is Monday, March 23rd, 2020. Time for episode 106 of the Barnhart Podcast. And welcome to March Madness. And no, this has nothing to do with brackets, but uh, toilet paper and binge streaming, it is the it is the season of Netflix and wipe, unless you were too late to buy toilet paper. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> awful in a good way. You're you're getting to be the master of the awful surprising me with the deliciously awful opening. Very <laughs> I don't know about delicious, but I did work on that yeah. one and, and, and uh, focus grouped it with my wife and one other person and they thought, yeah, yeah I might go for it. Yeah, yeah. that's I'm, I have enough of a gallows sense of humor to appreciate that, so yes. Uh, yeah, it is it is a weird time right now. We are basically shutting down the country. I mean, California and New York and uh, Florida, I think, they're going to complete lockdowns of the whole state. I say lockdown. I mean, shutdown, no, nobody leaving their home, um, non-essential traffic or traveling down to zero. Um, the metro area where I live at midnight. So basically, as soon as we're done recording this or between when we record this and when it gets published, we're going to be in a full basic, basic lockdown. Uh, but... It sounds more ominous than it really is because they say you can still go to the park as long as you maintain social, what do they say? Social isolation, social separation of at least six feet. Social distancing, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, You can go to essential services like grocery stores and uh, the doctor and the pharmacy. That sounds like normal life to me in a lot of sense. Uh, I think I think perhaps you'll you'll see that it's going to be profoundly different. It's um to say that it that it is fascinating to watch this unfold um and without without a shot fired. It's just absolutely amazing to me the descent, the basic the basic implosion and the end of anything I've been saying the former the former uh the former Republic of the United States. Um, I, I, I really don't see now how that can't be the case. Um, descending into, into totalitarianism that on a level that can already, or soon I suspect will make the North Koreans blush. And I am dead serious when I say that controlling people's movements um and you know the the what this episode is going to focus on is looking forward and kind of the things to start bracing for and starting to just just expect that will come down the pike as a result of this end of the end of the republic and this descent into totalitarianism and the thing of it is is when you give these sorts of people, as I've been saying for a long time, when you give these psychopaths, when you give them this sort of power, when you give them totalitarian power, um, they don't—they—they're not going to give it back. I mean, you, that this is the way it goes with humanity. Humanity walks voluntarily into tyranny, into totalitarianism, into dictatorship. Humans walk voluntarily into it. 
and then you have to fight a war to get out of it. And um, I'm I'm hard pressed to see how this situation is going to be any different. And you know, I, I wrote I've written a little bit already about the notion of people saying. Well, I can't wait for things to get to get back to normal. I can't wait for things to go back to normal. And that's that's such a difficult that in and of itself is an ex, is an extraordinarily um nuanced idea because I don't want things to go back to normal. I don't want things to go back to drag queen story hours. I don't want things to go back to Planned Parenthood. And by the way, Planned Parenthood has never been shut down. The abortuaries have not been shut down. And mark my words, I mean, people are talking a lot about the fact that there's going to be a baby boom nine months from now and all these people are stuck at home. Um, I think a lot of babies are going to be conceived. I'll put it to you that way. And then I think that the pressure is going to be put on people explicitly um, that you you cannot be having a child in this, um, this the situation, the lockdown. You cannot be bringing new children into the world. Um, nobody has any money. Nobody has a job. It's you know it's forty percent unemployment. Um, et cetera, et cetera. People, people are starving, blah, blah, blah. You cannot bring a child into the world. I think, I, I think we need to all make the precision that yes, there are going to be a lot of children conceived that weren't otherwise conceived, but I think that a lot of those children are going to be murdered. And I don't think that the Planned Parenthood abortuaries will be shut down for one second um, because they are going to be termed and called um quote unquote healthcare. So they'll they'll stay open and running and people will be actively, actively encouraged as if they don't need encouragement enough from the world to murder their children. So uh, I think we're just at the at the beginning. And my what I'm looking at right now in, is how in the world does this unwind and what kind of signals do we need to see? Um to tell whether or not any sort of potential unwinding that may come is actually a move in the right direction. Um, Like I've said for years and years on this podcast, that one of the most terrifying things is what is it going to take to have people in the streets um, renouncing fornication, renouncing sodomy, renouncing pornography, renouncing um, divorce and remarriage? Um, What is it going to take to get people to that point. And folks, don't kid yourself. We are absolutely nowhere near that. In fact, we're in a situation where people are descending into things like openly admitting that they're going home and watching porn all day. Um, so <laughs> ch- chastisement, I, I'm not, I'm just not sure where I'm seeing exactly chastisement right now. So it would take a loss of essential services and, um, and I say that in air quotes because I was listening to another podcast where so I think it was the I think it was Governor Cuomo of New York was listing off the essential services and he listed internet service as an essential service. Mm-hmm. Times would have to get tough for people to actually start thinking about the morality of the world right now mm-hmm. and the ability to cut off access to sin would have to be one of them, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. And you know, so a lot of people are basically in a stay-at-home order right now. 
Um, a lot of folks are finding out what it's like to work at home for the first time. I'm fortunate that I, I've worked at home a few times in my career so far. Mm-hmm. So the fact that um, I'm working at home effectively starting tomorrow until the foreseeable future, not the first time in the rodeo for this one. I, I, I've, I've, I'm already giving advice to the rest of the team and uh, of lessons learned from last from the previous times when I've been working from home and working remotely. Here's where it sucks to be a remote worker and what we can do to make remote workers you know feel better. Uh, no, I shouldn't say feel better. That sounds so wishy-washy. To um, actually keep them in the loop um, in, in terms of, of meetings and, and information. Um, we have the luxury that we, a lot of us, not everybody, a lot of us can do our jobs from home right now. So that's nice, but not everybody can do it. I mean, one of the thoughts that came to mind, and I'm sure this topic will come up later when it comes to mass and the suppression of the mass you have said that you think this might be the run up to the end times. I think it's a dress rehearsal. And one of the things that I think about is what about when the end times come, how are the priests going to get to the people who need the sacraments, who need, who need the sacraments? I guess that, that's the real thing. I mean, who need the mass? That's a different question. we all need the mass and the priests, there is efficacy that radiates from a priest doing a private mass and everybody joining their intentions to it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, let's say we were going toward you know the final times, something that hit me last week thinking about this, it never occurred to me that the, the uh, crackdown on, on the Catholic faith, at the Christian faith at end times, might be... Uh, cast in the sense of a public health crisis. Hey, Father So-and-so, why are you leaving the rectory? It's dangerous to be out right now. We don't even know if you're safe to be around other people. Get back in your house or we'll arrest you and forcibly take you to the hospital. Oh, yeah. Well, that's exactly what's going on right now. It's And that speaks to the whole... This is why this is this is so incredibly dangerous and you have to be so very careful about who you're listening to on this and and again you have to appeal to logic. One of the big um, arguments that's being made is is everybody's an asymptomatic carrier of this thing for multiple weeks. And by the way, I'm still I'm still sticking to my position that this thing is in fact a form of a chest cold. Um and so you're an asymptomatic carrier of this of this chest cold virus for weeks. Therefore, okay, if you just stop and think about this, what that means is that this never ends because what they're going to keep doing and what they're going to keep saying is that no, we're just we're three weeks away. We're three weeks away from this thing absolutely exploding, and it's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen. And they're just going to keep saying, "Nope, it's we're three weeks away. You're an asymptomatic carrier. If if we break this totalitarian situation, um, you're it's just going to explode." And mark my words. I mean, you can already see it happening. No, we can't. We can't break this. Absolutely not. Three weeks from now, there's going to be dead bodies piled in the streets and it's never going to happen and never going to happen. But then 
it's always going to be the same line. We're three weeks away. And that's the way it's going to be with mass. Um, I don't know how you unwind this situation where nobody can go to mass, where there can be absolutely no gatherings in churches because everyone's an asymptomatic carrier and every surface is being completely contaminated with viral particles and this, that, and the other, and you can't kill it and it lives. And the only way you can do it is to soak everything in bleach and and kryptonite or something. I mean, it's just, it's, they're just going to keep pushing this. And of course it's good. It's going to focus first and foremost, of course, on the church, the Holy sacrifice, liturgical gatherings, prayer, all of that, because that's Satan. That's its primary goal in all this. That's the primary goal. Now there are lots of other secondary goals, but that's the big one that, that Satan is going to keep harping on. And sadly it's, um, you know, people out there who are, putatively on the Catholic side of the spectrum are leading the charge on this. And I can't say that I'm surprised at all, but um, there it is. Well, in terms of soaking everything down and bleach and everything, I did have the opportunity to assist with um, the execution of a live stream of mass on Sunday, which mm-hmm. I guess was yesterday. It's, it's been a long um, 48 hours. Uh, but uh, two days prior to that, I, I went to the chapel to uh, prove out the setup and, and test the gear and everything. And there were folks cleaning the chapel. I mean, the smell of chlorine in the air reminded me of being at a pool. Yes, they were bleaching the place down and nobody had been in the chapel for a couple of days. We'd already been on the no no people, no groups larger than 10 order locally. And, and they were they were doing their due diligence to you know bleach the place down even though nobody was there and and um, to your point that it seems unreasonable to do that yes people are actually doing that and yet the orders are in place people can't gather well of course of course and the thing to remember is is that it's it's really a fool's errand um, it, not that I'm saying that people shouldn't be clean and that it's not, you You absolutely should wash your hands and you should keep surfaces clean. And I've been using a bleach-based uh, spray cleaner for years and prefer it, no question. However, we all have to be realistic about this and realize that it simply is not possible to sanitize the entire planet. It's not, it's not possible to sanitize much of anything. Let's be honest. This is why we have immune systems. This is why we have skin, which is the largest, um, the largest organ in our body. And it's a, it's an immune organ first and foremost. Um, this expectation that everything has to be 100% made totally uh, germ virus contagion free in the world. Again, it's simply impossible. It's not possible to do that. This Corona-19, it exists. It exists in the world now, and it's going to exist in the world probably for the duration. Um, there's no way to eradicate these things. And if you set yourself up with a standard that is that is impossible to um, to achieve, you cannot sanitize everything all the time. What you're doing is you're setting yourself up. You're just handing the victory to the totalitarianism, to the totalitarians, because now all they have to do 
is take this impossible standard, which you have set up for yourselves, and then hold you to it. And you see, you're, you're, you're dead before you even get out of the chute. So that's kind of where I am on that. It sounds like rules for radicals almost. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, which Alinsky rule is that, that you, you hold the enemy to his own book of rules? That's exactly what's going on here. There's also an element of, I forget, I don't know if this is a Dutch phrase or not, because I hear a lot of Dutch phrases on one of the podcasts to which I listen, but uh, the idea of one screen, two different movies, the idea being that uh, the, the narratives that are playing out, coming through the media, everybody is seeing the same set of facts on the screen, but depending upon your bias or point of mm -hmm. view, there are completely radically different points of view and i'm going to set aside the fox news versus msnbc those are known irreconcilable groups i'm going to go to the to the fringe right for a moment we've talked about alex jones and ridiculed him and rightly so in the past mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's another podcast that was recommended to me uh, a few weeks back and i've been listening to it and i classify it as, as a comedy podcast honestly it's called the x22 report and they these people think that trump and his team they keep calling him trump and the patriots are playing eight dimensional chess there are so many moves out in front and we're about to see a rebirth of freedom and uh, prosperity like we've never seen before a meanwhile Alex Jones is saying this is martial law this is the end it's starting to begin it's like wait a minute these are two people two groups on the fringe right yeah and they're looking at the same set of facts and coming to radically different conclusions meanwhile there are other people also on the fringe right saying things don't look so good I don't know what's going on it is very confusing right now and probably there's a lot of wisdom in saying, let's just hold on a second and see what really comes down. Maybe this blows over when the weather warms up. Maybe this is something that goes on until October. Who knows? We don't know right now. And probably one of the worst things to do, actually, I will qualify this. I'm going to say this unqualified. A bad thing to do is act in a certain manner when there isn't certain information. Don't go running out saying, ah, the world is ending, the sky is falling, we got to take action now. No, that's not what's going on at the moment. There, er, this is still really early. Even if, even if we are really marching into a totalitarian final run up to the end times, it's still very early. We don't know for a fact. Let's say for a moment the comedians over at X-22 are, are correct. It's still too early to say whether or not they're correct. Maybe this is an anomaly, kind of like the world didn't end when Obama took office and did all of his abominations. Maybe the Trumpster people and their screw-ups, maybe we can survive that too. As uh, another person I respect says, the country is stronger than one person. We'll see. Is this a significant bump in the road followed by a deep pothole and then we get out of it? I don't know. But don't overreact. And don't go buying out all the toilet paper for crying out loud. <laughs> well, I saw a, um, I, I wish I was savvier about being able to embed things and so on and so forth. I'll have to find this, this video clip. It wasn't even on Twitter. It was somewhere else. Um, and it was, it was just about the quintessence of 
what's wrong and the problem, you know, capital T, capital P, the problem with the United States. It's a couple. They're white. They're both obese. Um, the hu- putative husband, the male, the male has, um, he's got, he's got a ponytail, but his head is shaved except for a circle on the top of his head. But out of the top of his head, that hair is down to his butt. So he's got a huge like ponytail, but then the rest of his head is, um, shaved and he's standing there next to the woman who is also clinically obese and they're in a grocery store. And they have, I don't know how many cases of Mountain Dew, cans of Mountain Dew pop. And they're wanting to buy like 20 cases of Mountain Dew or something like that. And, you know, the, the grocery store people, I I don't, I don't know why I would just let them have it, but they say, you know, there's a, you know, a per item limit or something like that. And they're, they're giving them a little, a little bit of blowback. And of course these people, um, start throwing a fit and the man starts throwing a fit. And it's just, it's such a, a perfect visual representation of what exactly the problem is. That's the problem. That's why, I mean, we look at the stuff that's coming out of Italy and what's going on over there. And, um, an interesting precision, a social social commentary thing that you have to make between what's going on over in Italy and, you know, North America as it stands right now is that the Italians are generally considered by all testing metrics to be probably the highest IQ Caucasian ethnic group. Um, and you mean even more than the Germans? Yes, absolutely. Believe it or not, they are Germans are but car- called barbarians for a reason. Yes, the Italians are considered to, as a group, have the highest um, IQ among Caucasians. There but are. To be fair, it was the Italians calling the barbar- the Germans barbarians. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> and what does barbarian mean? It means they have beards. You know, we can go into the etymology of these things. But yeah, so you have a, a society over in Italy that has a that has a vastly different constitution, and I mean constitution in, in the sense of makeup, not in in terms of a, a governing document. Um, Italy, the, the Italian society just has a different constitution than the contemporary North American society, where you have a hell of a lot of people who have double-digit IQs and are just not are not well equipped at all in any way um, in terms of intrinsic intelligence, and certainly not in terms of the practice of any sort of virtue. Not that I'm saying that the Italian culture is hyper-virtuous because it's not, but um, things like the intense, massive gluttony that we see um, among so many Americans today, the obesity. Um, can, Can you imagine, can you imagine being in a situation like this and saying, man, we got, we got to get down to the store and we got to get as much Mountain Dew as we can possibly get. 
And, you know, you already weigh the man. The man was easily over 400 pounds, easily. And the woman was easily over 300 pounds. Um, and just that's, that's what your mindset is. That's what you're thinking, man, we have got to get some Mountain Dew up in here. Um, you look at that and you just say, boy, uh, it's hard. It's hard to argue and pray. And I'm incapable of, of asking our Lord to make things go back to normal. Um, that's just, that sentiment can't even, that can't come out of my lips. That can't come out of my mind. It's just, no, the, something here has to give and something has to change. And the, the two obese people going and trying to buy 10 cases of Mountain Dew. I mean, if, if I had to try to explain it to someone who is outside of the United States, I would show them that video and say, look at this, that right there, that is the problem. That is the problem. Well, how many cases of Mountain Dew are actually necessary? I mean, I, I would think less than one. You know, a six-pack should do, right? <laughs> well, the, Mountain Dew every once in a while can has an interesting flavor and an interesting taste. And um, is it necessary ever? No, it, it really, 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 really isn't. And when you weigh 400 pounds, it, uh, it especially isn't. But it's, oh. it's one of those strange sodas, kind of like uh, Dr. Pepper, really. It's a soda based on grapefruits, whereas Dr. Pepper is based on prunes. It's like, did they just run out of ideas here because cola was already taken? Well, you know, I remember I used to drink Mountain Dew as a kid. And the only place that you could get it when I was a little kid was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I just remember... You know, back in the day, being a little bitty kid, and you'd go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, and they have, you know, the Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, macaroni salad and the Kentucky Fried Chicken um, horrible fake mashed potatoes, and the biscuit and the honey and your and your drumstick in your little box. And I would always get to drink at Kentucky Fried Chicken Mountain Dew, and that's that's my memory of Mountain Dew pretty much. And then when I got into when I became a broker, when I graduated from college and, you know, went and started working as a broker and all those guys were, you know, trying to be all macho and everything and hyper caffeinate <clears throat> and they would drink Mountain Dew for the caffeine. Um, and at, at that point when it, when I realized what it was, when I realized it, it was a caffeine vector and that was its selling point. I kind of didn't understand that when I was, I certainly didn't understand that when I was a child, but then when I kind of realized what it was like, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to, I don't want to pump myself full of, full of excessive amounts of caffeine. And you know what? I have a brain and my brain works and I have no problem keeping myself awake when I need to be awake. Um, I never understood that the whole notion that you have to, you just have to be ingesting a drug, which is what caffeine is in order to even keep yourself awake. When I first started as a broker, the thing that was very popular on the floor of the exchanges was they, they, someone had just come out with a product called Water Joe and it was bottled water and it was caffeinated, but it was just water. And so what those guys would do, because, you know, they're basically, uh, you know, those kind of guys all have addictive personalities. A lot of them actually did do drugs. A lot of them did do cocaine and things like that. But what they would do for their caffeine fix is that they would go buy this water Joe and then they would use the caffeinated water to brew their coffee. So they would have this hyper, super duper caffeinated coffee. And I mean, 
obviously it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's abusive to your body. It's no damn good to be doing things like that. And I'm sorry, but if you can't get up in the morning and wake yourself up and stay awake and, and do what you need to do and, you know, be alert and aware as a grown adult person, that's indicative of there's something wrong with you. You know, you need to get up and, and, I'm I'm not a morning person by any stretch, but one thing I will say about myself is that when I get up, as soon as my feet hit the floor, as soon as my feet hit the floor, I'm up, I'm awake. I don't do the walking around like a zombie thing. My issue is just, you know, getting out of the bed. <laughs> that's a, that's the, you know, hitting the snooze one more time. That's my weakness. But once I'm up, I'm up. So I've I've never really understood that need to caffeinate like that. But oh, that's a digression. But well, you, you just put the alarm twelve feet away from your bed, so there's no yes. way to hit snooze without getting out of the bed. This is true, and especially, especially one should be doing that now because none of us have alarm clocks anymore. We all have the stupid phone and that is what the alarm clock is. And so you shouldn't have the phone in the bed with you, much less right there next to your noodle, next to your cranium. Um, well, so, you can put it in airplane mode. I mean, that's that does turn off emissions. Oh, that's true. You can put it in airplane mode. Yeah, yeah. Well... I always put the that. phone in I always put the phone in airplane mode uh, before going to bed simply for that reason and and there was a book I read um, I could probably find it but at the show notes if it's really that interesting but it was just a, a whole series of tips on sleep and it was exposure to RF energy was mm. something that uh, especially if it's in close proximity to you mm-hmm. and you know just Wi-Fi waves going through the house in general no big deal people are freaking out about 5g dude it's just radio waves it's above the spectrum where it's really super dangerous to humans if it's at a distance um, but if you the, the closer you get to you the more of an effect anything has whether it's uh, a candle you know, if you stick your finger in the flame, yeah, that's going to damage you. If you have it a foot away, it's not going to damage you. Same general idea with radio waves, just a little bit different physics. Um, if you have it close to you, if you put a cell phone up to your head, and I, I've noticed this as well, I almost never take a, a phone call putting my phone up to my head. It, it's just, I feel a little weird afterwards for a few minutes until that goes away. I would rather use a headpiece of some sort. And I don't know, I have no idea why Bluetooth headphones don't have that effect on me because that's RF energy as well. It could have something to do with the fact it's like one thousandth of the power of what the cell phone puts out. But Mm. yeah, what were we talking about? So I so rarely, I know, I so rarely talk on the phone anymore that I hardly ever have the thing, you know, up in the, you know, talking on, on the phone position. It's weird how, how much things have changed. Rarely talk on the phone like that anymore. Well, I'm enough of an audio nerd that I've got, I don't know how many microphones and headsets that I could plug into either my phone or my laptop. And since I have an Apple phone and an Apple laptop, I can take phone calls through my laptop. And uh, I, I don't like putting something to my head that literally is emitting radio energy. So mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about sleep and quality of sleep and getting out of bed. Yeah, keep the active RF energy away from you if you can. And uh, a, a cell phone is is making you know calls out to cell repeaters and, and saying, hey, I am handset, umpty squat. 
this is my location. What's my signal reading? Okay, all's good. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Hey, are you still there? Uh, turn the darn thing off. I mean, yeah. if something is truly critical, you know, I'm sorry, Granny, if you fall, if, if you die while I'm asleep, but I'll get the phone call in the morning. It's not like I'm going to get up at two in the morning to, to head out immediately for your funeral. I was going to do that at 10 in the morning anyway. So, and I, I, I say that in a semi-mocking tone, but honestly, what news is going to come in in the middle of the night that you can't handle in the morning? This is true. The vast, vast, vast majority of things, there's nothing you could do anyway. So, yeah. I mean, the the stuff that is truly, crucially important, like you really dang better be aware of it right now. They have these things called civil defense sirens. So there's, I don't know, I live in the middle of the United States. If there's a tornado rolling up my direction, they've got sirens and we'll hear the darn thing. Um, there is a particular siren pattern for if there's an inbound nuclear warhead. We'll hear the thing, whether or not we've got our phones on. Mm-hmm. So. And if there's an earthquake, you'll feel the earthquake. And if, you know, yeah, there's there's a lot. So I think, I think it's good advice. Just turn the phone off. So back to... Uh, Mountain Dew. Uh, <laughs> Mountain Dew and Corona Chan and everything else. Oh, um, just the irrational stocking up of things. I mean, well, it, hoarders, it, it's yeah. always it's always prudent. <laughs> yeah, hoarders. I made the comment to somebody. Uh, I forget what the item was on on the shelf. There was like two or three of them left, and I said, "Well, I better grab them all before the hoarders buy everything." And and it was I, I think it was uh, honey vanilla chamomile tea of all things. I was expecting to go be able to buy four of them, and there was only two left on the shelf, which I thought was kind of funny. And uh, one of the store employees was there, and I, I, I made a show of, of acting like I was paranoid. I was like, well, I, I, better, I better grab them all before the damn hoarders get them. <laughs> um, no, it was, it, it, there's so much panic shopping. It's, it's almost humorous if you walk through a store and see just the aisles that are wiped out. Uh, it was a week ago, went to Sam's locally, and the toilet paper and, and tissue aisle, it's completely bare. It's like a going out of sale uh, like, like the store is shutting down and I asked one of the employees like hey how, how many people are, are like bribing you to let them let them know when when the truck comes in or anything and they thought that was a funny question they did say though that their restock interval right now is like three weeks on some of this stuff it's like okay well if I knew that it was gonna take three weeks I might be looking or might be slightly nervous as well how long ago was it we did the prepping podcast that was a month ago already wasn't it yeah yeah it was, so. after, it was after that podcast because the topic of toilet paper and baby wipes and things like that came up mm-hmm. as a joke because I know my wife listens to this podcast. I went out and did a double purchase of, of um, toilet paper and tissues just because like, ha ha, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of weeks later, it's like, there's no toilet paper within 500 miles. Yeah. So it's like, hmm, okay, that was interesting. <laughs> And I mean, it's it's strange that I've been one of the people now for years and years. I mean, since 2008, since Obama, I mean, started to talk pretty hardcore about prepping and getting supplies stacked and, and locked away and um, preparing financially and all, all kinds of things. Boy, that that 
chicken has come home to roost. I, all the hate mail from all the people saying, you're so stupid. You are telling people to get out of the, get out of their 401ks and pay off their mortgage. You're so dumb. Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Excuse me. As the, as the Dow drops, you know, 30% in a week or something like that. And it's the, like the, that South Park clip where the kids go into the bank and he deposits his hundred bucks in the bank and the banker's sitting there and he's tapping on the computer and he says, and it's gone. <laughs> and it's, yep, I, I told you when it happens, you're not going to be able to get out. But yeah, the irony of now sitting here, I've been talking and talking and talking about prepping. And now that it's all happening and watching things like this unfold and telling people, all right, you need, you all should have calm and should have your heads and your wits about you. Um, look who it is. This, and this is, this is the point. I mean, going back to these, I'm sorry, but these low IQ people, um, they are not going, when you put people like that under any sort of pressure, they, the odds are is that they're not going to react virtuously. Um, and I know it's not, I don't know. It's kind of hard to phrase this. It's not the fact that they're low IQ that makes them not virtuous. That's not what I'm saying. But when no, because the ability to gain virtue is in the will. Exactly. It's not in the intellect. So it's not a function of, of how smart you are. In fact, for many people, the, the abilities of your intellect inhibits the ability of the will to make acts of love because you're so damn full of yourself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, but what you do is you look at what I refer to as the honey boo boo demographic, because that, you know, that obese woman with uh, the the little pageant girl, the mother of the of the little pageant girl. To me, she's kind of emblematic of of what it is that I'm talking about. So you've got you've got a sub 100 IQ clearly, um, plus you've got people who are not. Um, virtuous or striving towards virtue in any way, you put those two things together, the stupidity plus the lack of virtue, and that's an extremely dangerous combination. Um, you can, I think, I, I guess that's the point I'm, I was trying to make with regards to Italy. With regards to Italy, because the average IQ is, is considerably higher, um, you only have, you've got lack of virtue, but there's, that can be tempered to some extent by the fact that if people are intelligent enough, they can look around and they can independently come to the conclusion that it does not do any good and it does not serve any purpose to panic. And so there's, even though Italy is now the global locus of the, of the Corona Chan, um, such as it is, there's not, you're not seeing panic really anywhere. I mean, you're seeing the opposite. You're seeing them having, you know, opera singers going out and singing from their apartment balconies and, you know, people singing songs and, and trying to do helpful, positive, um, it, positive things like that. Um, what I, what I saw coming all along this train coming a hundred miles an hour, um, 
it was that difference between that over there in Italy and what you can expect from the people in the United States. And we're absolutely seeing it. We're totally, totally, totally seeing it. And as, and as we have also discussed, there is a logistical difference between Italy and the United States where most people in Italy are literally within easy walking distance of a grocery store. Whereas in the U.S., you have to get into a car and drive miles to get to the closest grocery store for some people. And then, of course, you factor on top of that the obesity. Um, people simply do not have the physical fitness to be able to carry anything, any sort of a distance at all. Um, and so it's, it's a perfect storm. It's, a, it's an absolute perfect storm. Well, also in Italy, you made the point on the last podcast that a lot of people live in apartment blocks. So I'd imagine yeah. the amount of space they would have to put things in storage for a rainy day or a COVID-19 day mm -hmm. uh, is quite limited. So yes, the fact that they could walk to the store and come back with stuff, they might need to make 19 round trips to stock up for COVID-19. But for in the United States, we tend to have bigger homes, and I know yeah. that um, we did a non-panic stock up because we have no idea how long we're going to be locked down here, and I think we're good for, I don't know, at least four to six weeks at the moment. Literally, if we had to, it was coincidental that we had ordered a side of beef and took delivery of that this, this uh, Saturday. We put the order in weeks ago. Nice. Um, we're, we literally could basically just lock the door and stay home for at least six weeks. Mm -hmm. we're, we're good to go from that perspective. I mean, as long as the internet stays on, I can keep working. So um, there's that. But in terms of comparing the United States to Italy, our our lifestyles are the way we the size of our homes the way we live our life our attitude yeah. toward everything is so different i mean how Vastly many different. how many yeah. italians have firearms for crying out loud i mean there are people right now uh it's it's hilarious that uh, the 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 lines at gun stores are are just at well they're, they're doing the whole uh social distancing thing so there are lines outside of the gun store spaced exactly 1.5 meters apart because we we know how to count meters and millimeters as gun people and uh we're very polite about this and and they're just being very efficient going through and buying their glock 19s and, and their thousand rounds of ammo but um it it's it's we're, we're all preparing and and um there are some people freaking out. It just doesn't seem like a lot of freaking out here in the United States at the moment. Maybe we should be, and, I, and I'm just taking it too lightly. I don't know. I'm prepared, but I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely can see where somebody who wants to say, hey, this is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of martial law. This is really going to crack down and, and say, you, you Catholics can't go to Mass anymore. And that's happening, unfortunately. And I'm sure that's a topic we, you were planning to get to as well. Um for the most part, we're not freaking out about it. So let's just change topics and talk about uh, the the public adoration of, of of God at Mass. in 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 the United States, at least in most of the United States, and it's not just the lockdown areas. They're saying groups no larger than fifty, and some places are saying groups no larger than ten can congregate for health reasons, and the police will disperse groups and arrest people if you don't disperse. That's fun. Cops are going to grab you because you might have COVID-19 or have a threat of disperse. Anyway, um, you're not allowed to congregate and therefore public sacrifice the mass. We can't attend it anymore. 
and this is something I was, I think I was texting with you last week. It never occurred to me before. You know, the the Antichrist is going to have access to satanic brilliance we can't imagine. And prior to all of these orders coming down, I never would have imagined for a moment that the way Catholic worship is going to be shut down, you know, authentic Christian worship would be shut down was because of a health scare. You mm-hmm. can't be around other human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's diabolically clever. Yes. And it makes me wonder if this isn't, isn't really the final answer for in Satan's arsenal. This is this is a, a dress rehearsal where he's not really tipping his hand for what's really coming. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I can't imagine. I mean, what what more do you want? The public the public Daniel Daniel chapter nine is being fulfilled before our very eyes. I I, I struggle with the notion that we should be looking at this and saying. Well, no, th- this isn't it. You know, you've got an anti-pope. You've got the worship of of demons going on inside the Vatican. You've got now the voluntary, voluntary suppression of the public offering of the holy sacrifice, fulfilling Daniel chapter nine to a T. I mean, it's and it's repeated elsewhere. And um, I think it's in eight, nine, 11 and 12 are the chapters that it that the book of Daniel specifically says. And I find the precision to be so fascinating. The public, the public offering of the continual sacrifice and that's that's the mass the continual sacrifice in the um the the old testament jewish uh paradigm was called the todah sacrifice t-o-d-a-h and it was said they said all along and the jews were fully understood this that eventually when the messiah came that that all of the animal sacrifices would cease and the only one that would continue on forever and ever would be the Todah sacrifice because the Todah sacrifice was the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And of course, we all know what is uh, the mass. It is the Eucharist. What does Eucharist mean in Greek? It means thanksgiving. Um, So it is beyond any debate whatsoever that what is being discussed in the prophecy in the book of Daniel is the holy sacrifice of the mass, which is the perpetual, unending sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's exactly what the mass is. So that's what they're talking about. That's what's being discussed there. And so um, to say all these things are happening the, the U.S. Is, is descending into totalitarianism. People can't leave their houses. There's probably going to be martial law pretty soon. Um, they're talking about um, the ability to arrest and detain people indefinitely. That may, it, it's, it, all notions of the rule of law are flying out the window. All these things are happening. You've had drag queen story hours going on. You have the wholesale slaughter of of unborn children not just protected under the law but the the people on the on the left in the presidential campaign just you know bellowing bellowing that the ability to murder 
to murder children is one of, if not their highest priority. I mean, it's watching some of these campaign speeches and, you know, watching some of these, uh, these politicos talk about this stuff with an almost with it's not almost with a demonic um fervor fervor and physical manifestation bellowing bellowing in my research on diabolical narcissism you you know you kind of start learning about and seeing these different terms in terms of how people behave and what people do and and how that relates to the demonic and bellowing um the the eyes that flash if you've ever been in front of someone if you've ever had someone scream at you a diabolical narcissist scream at you in full diabolical narcissist mode their eyes flash with a demonic hatred they bellow and they also they bare their teeth they pull their teeth back and they'll they'll hiss and uh, you know you know you've probably seen movies and i hope you've you've not had too much experience with this personally and it's it's sodomites will do it it's it's the bearing the teeth and the hissing at people that's we tend to relate that to to sodomites but any human being will do it if they're in a diabolical state of rage like that i've seen it and um it's it's remarkable how the human physiognomy you know that you read about the exorcists and they talk about how when they're doing exorcist of people who are truly possessed, 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 as in the demon is has taken over the person's body and the demon is driving, how the person's physiognomy changes, what their face, what they do with their face, and so on and so forth. And they they turn into well, I mean, it's the demon manifesting through the person's body, but it's it's a completely different physical projection. And so, you know, we've got all this stuff happening. And I, at at this point, I just don't know what you would think. The thing I've been saying about anti-Pope Bergoglio for so long is, look, if if this guy isn't the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, what is left for the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist to do? I mean, seriously, if if I, (laughs) hypothetically speaking, if I were the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, and I'd be looking at Bergoglio saying, dude, you're stealing my entire routine. You're stealing my act. You know, what, what, what in the world is going to be left? We've got the suspension of the holy sacrifice. And of course, Bergoglio was completely involved in that reverse course after getting blowback from a bunch of cardinals and bishops less than 24 hours later. And then, of course, in typical Peronist, um, just evil lying fashion, he starts pointing the finger and blaming all these all these other people um, and saying, oh, no, they they made me did it. They made me do it. It was them. It was them. It's like, oh, you're so pathetic, even though we've got testimony that you were the one who did it. You were the one who instigated it. Well, in terms of what the actual Antichrist can do that Bergoglio isn't, uh, I would say that Bergoglio is raising the bastions, and that's R-A-Z-I-N-G. And the idea being that the legitimate understanding of the faith and the expressions of the faith are being leveled, and when the Antichrist comes, it's not so much... He's not going to be taking away defenses. I imagine they're going to be gone already. He's going to be forcing everybody to commit objective apostasy and and blasphemy. 
say what you will about Bergoglio, I don't think he's mandating that of anybody yet. Sure, he's put the Pachamama idols or allowed that to be um, worshipped in, in the Vatican, but I don't think it's been forced at this point. Well, I mean, I, I don't think that Bergoglio is the Antichrist. I think Bergoglio is the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. Precisely, I think that Bergoglio is probably the anti-John the Baptist. Um, you know, John the Baptist came, make the way straight for the coming of the Lord. Bergoglio being the anti-John the Baptist, make everything crooked, throw everything into an, into as much chaos and uncertainty as is humanly possible. And going to things that I think, uh, in terms of specifically in terms of um, the wor- our Lord's words in the gospel being about the end times, being fulfilled right now, and what I'm seeing or what I see coming down the pike very, very quickly with regards to all of that. The first thing that I want to point up is our Lord said, when I return, will I find faith on earth and the charity of men will grow cold. Okay. What do we see? We see hate being, um, being touted as, as almost virtuous in this situation. Um, and they will, the other, the other thing that our Lord said is that they, the the Jews, the Pharisees, whatever you want to call them, they will turn you over or they will turn you over. They will turn you Christians over to the state, to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees, whoever they will turn you over your, your fellow, your fellow Christians, and they will think that they're doing the world a favor for doing it. And that one particularly right now with me, where I see this manifesting is you've got people who are literally um, getting to the point where they're, they want to start narking on people who are going to mass places where the mass is being not offered publicly, but, you know, offered privately. And then people can be in the church at the same time. I still go to mass every day. I go to mass every day. And I think there are people in Trad Inc. who are, who would very, very much like to narc me out for that and narc out where I am. Um, so you, this is exactly, I see this like, oh my gosh, that that's what this is. It's going to get to the point where some of these people are think that they're doing the world a favor by narking out people who go to mass and hear mass. You shouldn't be leaving your house. You shouldn't be, you're killing old people. You're well, there's no old people there. Um, most, most, people of, of that age who are vulnerable or intelligent enough to, to stay home, I should think. Um, well, it's also know. a feature of the traditional Latin mass that most of the people who go are young. You don't have, well, okay, I don't go to the new mass, so I don't know this for a fact, but I know that for traditional masses, it's a constant problem to hear babies screaming and crying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My understanding is that at the new mass, most parishes, people are literally geriatric. You don't have young people. You certainly don't have babies screaming and crying. It's, I'm making a generalization here, but in terms of you know affecting older people, I would say don't go to the new mass. Well, yeah, I mean, and... In in Novus Ordo parishes, there there are no young people at daily mass. Good heavens, I 
I don't for the you know year and change that I was involved in the Novus Ordo parish that I entered the church in. There were a couple instances where um, I attended a daily mass, and yeah, it was all senior citizens by far. Of course, so we talked about a couple of months ago the the death of Kobe Bryant and mentioning that he would go to daily mass. He was thirty eight, thirty nine. That's mm-hmm. young for Novus Ordo mass attendees, isn't it? Very, very young. Absolutely. And I mean, d- to be fair. Um, a certain amount of that has to do with the fact that most people who are, you know, young in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are working during the week. And logistically, a lot of them can't get to a daily mass, especially, you know, especially if like the daily mass is at 8.30 or 9 a.m. That's too late for for people who have a full-time job to be able to go to that mass. But the reason that the Novus Ordo schedules those masses at that time is precisely because they know the only people who are going to come are going to be, frankly, um, elderly women. So, you know, they they don't have the 7 a.m., the 7.15 a.m. mass. Now, I, I reckon one of the reasons that Kobe Bryant was going to daily mass. Number one, he's a multi, he was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, so he could set his own schedule. But also in some place as large as Orange County, um, yeah, they would. It's not surprising that a, that a great big parish would have a, you know, a daily mass in the seven o'clock hour. But in most places, oh no, I think the daily mass is, um, is in the eight, nine, maybe even the 10 o'clock hour. So, well, would- another outlying point for him also, he, his, when he was still working, his job worked at night. So he'd have to get yeah. down to the Staples Center at what, seven, eight in the evening or maybe five in the afternoon. That's, there's plenty of time to get to go or to morning mass, catch your helicopter downtown and be at, be at Staples by two o'clock. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's, it, I, I get your point there. But if people really demanded the mass, I think their accommodations would be made. Um, I, I still have contact with folks in St. Mary's USA and St. Mary's Kansas. I, I realize there's like 17 St. Mary's in the United States. Hmm. Um, St. Mary's Kansas on a, the daily mass schedule starts at 5:45 in the morning for people mm-hmm. who go to who go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, locally where I live, there's a 6:30 a.m. mass. I think that's the earliest. Um, I don't know. I just found out about another Latin mass here in the last uh, week um, that I didn't know about. So. We're even more blessed than I realized, but I don't know how how early the earliest one is. If if there's one earlier than six thirty, but that one is advertised as being for people who need to go to work. The assumption is you go to work by eight. If there was a sufficient demand, it's like no, 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 Father, I need to be at work at six thirty. He might do a mass at five o'clock if there's a sufficient quorum. And I've been to those six thirty masses. There's maybe 20 30 people there i mean if there wow. was if there was a sufficient body of people saying no father that's too late 6 30 is too late they'll get up and do it i mean that's i mean i'm not trying to make light of the fact but that's what they signed up for and and say what you will about and i'm talking to to ssp extras here say what you will about um returning saint peter priests they do definitely believe in giving the sacraments to the people and if if it means getting up at two in the morning do a three o'clock mass so people can go to work at five they'll do it well i'm not saying society i'm not saying i'm not saying the sspx priest wouldn't do it but i don't know if there's that kind of demand well i i, well, I was just talking about st mary's usa they're doing mass at 5 45 in the morning but you no know, the, the i guess my larger point here let's stop intertrad politics here that's my fault i'm sorry for bringing it up the the larger point here is that if people were really demanding the mass there would be an earlier mass 
I don't know if that's happening in, in, in new mass circles. And by all means, let me know. I, I'm not there. I don't know. So if it's happening, and you know, except for the naval bases, that's different rules. You guys operate on different schedules. I realize we have a couple of people listening who are on naval bases. I'm sure you have 4 a.m. masses, and there's probably a good reason for it. But in the normal civilian world, 8, 9, 10, 30 is probably typical. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, and so I think what we're seeing unfold is these prophecies of our Lord. Um, people are going to start narking each other out. Um, other Catholics, uh, trying to get any ability to enter a church, hear a mass, hear a private mass. Um, and remember the precision when I say hear a mass, um, that means that you are present within a line of sight and you have attached yourself to a mass that is being offered here is euphemistic in this case private masses are said at a whisper by definition so you don't you don't hear anything but as i've made the point before and we need to reboot especially now we need to reboot our our series on just going through the mass and going through the missile if you know the mass you can literally if you walked into a church and there's a priest on a side altar offering the holy sacrifice in the venerable rite of Pius V. If you know the Mass, you can look at the priest, look at where the book is, look at where um, how he's holding his hands, what his posture is, and within literally five to ten seconds, you should know exactly where he is in the Mass without hearing anything, without hearing word. And if there's a server, where's the server? What is the server doing? Um, so, you know, when I say here, that's euphemistic. It's, it's private masses are silent. But this whole notion of, you know, charity running cold, people narking, narking each other out. And we have this, this is what goes on in, this is what went on in the Soviet bloc. I mean, that's, people were incentivized to spy on each other, rat out their neighbors, things like that. And so as we descend into that, into the heirs of Russia and this entire milieu, yeah, people are going to, there's going to be incentives set up and people are going to just, um, because of a lack of virtue, they're going to want to um, descend into this of, of narking each other out, getting people in trouble. And then when you look at the Chinese social credit score system that they're looking to fast track to get that online as soon as possible in the US. And we need to talk about all that too, with regards to quote unquote vaccines and all that coming down the pike. But the Chinese system where you can literally get like like brownie points, government brownie points on your social credit score if you narc your neighbors out. so that whole thing of what our Lord said about the lack of charity, the charity of men growing cold, that's all happening too. And so, um, yeah, back to the point about, about China and what's coming down, coming down the pike. I anticipate that what this is eventually, because they're, they're pushing so hard this whole notion that everybody's an asymptomatic carrier, well, everybody's an asymptomatic carrier of a hell of a lot at all times. We're all, we're all germy. There's always germs on our bodies, coming out of our mouths, in our spit, in our, in our exhalations, everything. We're, well, heck, I'm precancerous. 
we're all precancerous at all times. Absolutely. Um, so where I think this is going is that before too long, someone is going to miraculously pop up and say, oh, look, I have a vaccine. And the only way we can get out of this Corona chance situation, because everyone's an asymptomatic carrier, and we're all just constantly three weeks away from a massive explosion and dead bodies in the streets, um, the only way out of this is through a vaccine. You have to get this vaccine. It will be tied to your social credit score, whether or not you are vaccinated. And the other thing, I think at this point, there are, there's a, a name or two names that just keep popping up all the time with regards to the Vatican, with regards to this, with regards to Wuhan, everything. And those names are Bill and Melinda Gates. Bill and Melinda Gates have already executed a covert criminal sterilization operation in Africa. They have clandestinely given people sterilants. One of the primary goals and what people, and they've been having these conferences, anti-Pope Bergoglio has been having these conferences inside the Vatican with all of these, um, all of these people who are explicitly anti-life, explicitly pro-abortion, explicitly saying things uh, that in the, in, for the good of the environment, the human population has to be reduced to under 1 billion. And remember, there's between 7.5 and, and 8 billion people on the planet right now. And there, a lot of these people openly discuss the fact that they believe that the human population must be reduced to less than 1 billion. How in the hell do you do that? How do you do that? Sterilization sterilization and they are they are dissatisfied with the rate of um of cultural suicide of auto destruction that's going on um now even though italy is aging to death and you know they have one of the reasons that they're getting hit especially up north is because they do have a lot of elderly people although i still want to see the racial breakdown of, of everything that's going up going on up in northern italy because that's the largest um Chinese enclave in Europe. There's well over a hundred thousand Chinese living in a very small area up there. Well, um, I'd, I'd heard about that around Milan and some of the manufacturing yeah. places uh, up in there. There was, uh, I, th I think, Italy was the first of the EU countries to sign on to the. I think it was Two Belts One Road Initiative, yep, where they exactly. were going to fast track in, uh, literally tracks um, moving in uh, freight. By, by rail and train, inter intermodal freight coming from China into the EU. I don't know how the heck Italy became the first one to get on with that. But uh, because of the direct flights between Milan and, and China, that uh, that was a big reason why northern Italy was one of the big vectors of uh, coronavirus initially. Uh, another one in the United States, I don't know if you remember this one, but uh, the Ohio governor a couple of weeks ago said that they may have as many as 100,000 cases of coronavirus in Ohio. Well, prior to all of this coronavirus going um, supernova, there were direct flights between Wuhan and Toledo on a daily basis because the Toledo area was mm -hmm. a focus for building up 
manufacturing capacity in the United States for Chinese companies. So you have people constantly going back and forth uh, between Wuhan and Toledo. And there's a Netflix documentary I heard about talking about, I don't know what the name of it is, but talking about some manufacturing facility in Ohio run by Chinese people. And I think the upshot at the end was that they were going to set up these manufacturing facilities in the U.S., but then just have it all run by robots and not even people. But the point is the Chinese are all over northern Ohio. So the idea being that... uh, that Ohio being a hot spot for COVID makes complete sense. I don't know about Seattle other than the fact that it's West coast and that's a obvious debarkation point for coming in and out of uh, Asia. Sure. Um, But then again, why isn't San Francisco and, and uh, LA having the same problem? I don't know what's special about Seattle. There's a lot of special things about Seattle and I don't don't mean that in a positive sense, but Mm, indeed. Well, I've said for years, I remember in 2008, I was out having dinner with a friend and I said, and it was the run-up. Uh, the election hadn't happened yet, but it was becoming very clear that Obama was going to be elected, usurp, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, because he, he had the big speech right there in Denver. He sold out yeah, the, uh, with the, the football stadium. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. Yeah. And I said, I was out to dinner with a friend, and I said, this, this is leading, this is going towards um, – uh, People's Liberation Army, red Chinese boots on the ground in North America. And I remember the the person looked at me and their face fell and just looked at me like I was insane. I'll never forget it. And then like, here, here we're sitting, I'm absolutely convinced that before this is over, that on the West Coast, they will invite Chinese boots on the ground as peacekeepers. I think that that's, a lo- that's where a lot of this is going. And then back to, to Milan, um, massive. They they install all these Chinese workers, both Ill- illegal and legal, up in there, and they work in the clothing factories and the leather factories. And so, you know, because the apparently the whole made in Italy for clothing, for garments, and for leather, it, it carries a, a huge premium still. Here's the dirty little secret. It's just all transported, transplanted Chinese um, factories. And a lot of us, you know, before this, who have, how, how many cities in China do any of us know the names of besides Beijing? Not many. Who'd, who'd ever really heard of Wuhan? I'd never, I don't think I'd ever heard of Wuhan. It's a huge city. Population yet, 15 million. 15. 15 million souls. And yes, there were um, direct flights, direct flights from Milan to Wuhan, not just direct flights from Milan to China, direct flights from Milan to Wuhan, because there were that many people and there was that much back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so there are also anecdotes from Italy, from all over Italy, that's what's happening is, is so for example, you'll have a little mom and pop coffee shop or a little mom and pop store, something like that. Well, Italy's aging to death. So these people get to be in their 70s. They have one kid the kid has gone to university and is now working, you know, as in finance or something like that and wants nothing to do with this store, this family business that's been passed down for generations. And so what's happening in Italy is that 
Chinese are rolling in and they'll walk in to, let's call it, you know, a coffee bar. That's kind of the quintessential Italian little mom and pop shop. And there's one every few feet in the cities. There's literally a coffee bar every few feet. And so Chinese will roll in and they will have cash, cash, like 250, 300, 350,000, not dollars, but it would be euro in cash. And they will walk in and they will say, I will buy this shop turnkey as it sits, everything for 300,000 cash. And the elderly people are just like, yeah, okay. And they're, they're selling out right and left. So the whole paradigm of the Italian coffee shop and other things too, like small super small supermarkets in which it wouldn't be a super, it would just be a market, small markets, things like that. 7-Elevens. 7-Elevens, yeah. But mom and pop, that's the thing. They're not chains, they're mom and pop. These little mom and pop shops are being bought in a, are being bought up right, left, and center in Rome, in Venice, all over the place, and certainly in Milan and all that area, as these Chinese just keep coming in and coming in and coming in. And so, yeah, you say, how did this happen? How did this spread? How did this, why is it that Italy, northern Italy is the locus of all this? Well, lots and lots of Chinese people flying back and forth all the time to Wuhan. That's how it happened. Okay. Um, so there, there's something curious I need to bring up now. There's a ton of Chinese investment, Chinese engineers, Chinese people, Chinese everything going on all over Africa. Lots of railroads being constructed, lots of roads being constructed. And it's simple, simple logic. They want at the rare earth minerals so they can, and, and, and other precious metals and other resources, so they can get them out of the ground, ship them back to China and do stuff with them and sell them back to the Western world. Mm-hmm. There are Chinese all over Africa. How come there's not big COVID-19 breakouts happening there? Combine that with Mexico is shouting the border with the U.S., preventing people from coming south because we don't want your COVID-19. They're, one of the things that Trump's been talking about is this is all going to blow over when the weather gets warmer. Exactly. Temperature. This is interesting that mm-hmm. in the warmer climates where there's more than enough Chinese to go around, we don't have a problem with COVID-19. Yeah, it's, it's like any other seasonal flu and cold virus. That's why the cold and flu season is in the, is in the cold months. And why you say, well, we have to stay under quarantine and we'll get it knocked out. And then, and you know, we'll, we'll be in quarantine until August, September. Guess what's going to happen in October as it does every single year? Um, let and me guess. One- wait, wait. Um, basketball season start. No, wait. Uh, no. That's not what you meant. Um, that's not what fiscal, I meant. Fiscal year 20. No. no. Weather gets colder. Weather gets colder and what happens? All of these cold and flu viruses pop back up. I'm convinced and let's let me put my cards on the table. I do think that a lot of this was orchestrated by these Bill and Melinda Gates type organizations, Soros type organizations. I mean, these people literally own bioweapons plants in Wuhan. I mean, come on. They did they did a coronavirus epidemic drill in October of 19, as in just a few months ago. What I mean what a coronavirus epidemic drill the Gates Foundation did. 
Um, yeah, and Fauci was in the middle of that as well. And Fauci but, was in the But they they yeah. do these drills all the time. To be honest, I mean, yeah, a lot is a lot is said about how you know, not that long before nine eleven in New York, they were uh, doing a drill with uh, FEMA and DH. Well, there wasn't DHS yet. Um, some other agency was was doing a drill. I don't know, I may be confusing events here with uh, London 7-7, but uh, they were doing a drill and they had to stop the drill and go real world active because what they were drilling was actually happening. Was happening. Yeah. And and I, when I was in the Navy, we it, if, it, if the day ended in Y, we were doing a drill. It was either a chemical attack or it was a fire or it was we were drilling that we were in the in the Persian Gulf and Iranian boats were coming out and shooting chemical shells at us or something or other. We drilled for every darn thing under the sun. I'm, we, I'm surprised we didn't drill for the three days of darkness. We drilled for everything. We drilled constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to say that there are drills going on all the time and some of them overlap with things that happen in the real world. I mean, they pay consultants to come in and say, hey, think like the bad guys for a minute. If you're these a-holes in a, in a cave in Afghanistan, how would you attack us? Think about this for a minute. And, and come back to us with a plausible scenario, we're going to develop a war plan against it. It, it. It's logical. If you're smart enough to figure out what could actually happen, yes, there are going to be drills that match the real world. In the metro where I live, I'm an amateur radio operator. I participated in a three-part drill a few years ago where one part was a severe weather event, one part was a, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was an infectious disease, but maybe it was, was one part of it, and the other part was a chemical spill at, at a rail yard. Mm-hmm. And they, the whole point of these drills is to see, can Agency A talk to Agency B through volunteers X, Y, and Z while talking to Hospital G and um, Facility Y over here? Um, it's just a big thing to see whether or not all the gears that would have to intermesh in a real drill actually work. And sometimes it's a Chinese fire drill, and sometimes it's very Germanly organized. Um, I'm not surprised that drills actually mirror the real world. Sometimes when when you have to stop, I think it was London 7-7. They were saying that there was a, a, a attack happening in the subway, at the time that an attack was happening in the subway and they had to make a call stop the exercise because the at what we're exercising is really happening in the real world right now go active sure yep I mean, oh, there, yeah. there's, there's a lot of hay that's been made about the fact that on on the morning of 9 11 norad for the first time in its history was stood down for an exercise and they were drilling hijacked airlines huh. and some of the some of the recordings that are out there on the internet um of people uh, calling, it was the the airline people or FAA people calling NORAD saying, we have hijacked airlines, and the people at NORAD saying, wait, are you talking about the drill or are you talking about real world? They didn't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Drills yeah, yeah. happen all the time, so mm-hmm. the fact that sometimes they overlap with real world, I'm not terribly surprised. However, I, I just find the whole Bill and Melinda Gates situation very uh very suspicious very in a very dark dark way bill gates couldn't build a functional operating system i don't think he could build a virus <laughs> well, i can there's well how much is the guy worth a hundred billion or something like that i mean you can't buy a brain that's for sure <laughs> your 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 nerd credentials are 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 
are showing. <laughs> Can't build a functional operating system. Well, I haven't used his operating system in, in many years now, and I can't I can't say that that I mind at all. Um, but where were we? Man, we're on so many tangents. Where okay, were we? I've, I've got to, I've got to go into that for a second because there there is two operating system families that come out of Microsoft. The first one that put them into the billionaire status, they bought that. They didn't buy. They didn't build it. They bought it from Seattle Computer Works. It's called MS. Well, it's called Disk Operating System, and they called it MS DOS. Mm -hmm. That was. They didn't buy it, or they didn't build it. They bought it and then extended it. And then the the system we use now, everyone uses Windows 10 or Windows 7 or, or some of those intrepid souls are still using Windows Vista. That is the NT kernel, Windows NT, if you remember back to the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. yeah. mm -hmm. That was because they bought the entire brain trust from Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC, all the people who worked on Alpha and all of that. There were lawsuits flying that the Microsoft people were acquiring so many engineers from DEC and the product that they were building looked so similar to the DEC operating system that there was clear copyright going on, and the lawsuits oh. were dropped and payoffs were made, and Windows 2000 um, and, and all of the successors from XP, which the Navy is still paying eight figures a year for, um, and Windows 10 is, you know, it's a, it's a great operating system. Microsoft tactically invented it, technically built it, but they bought all the brain trust to do it. Bill Gates has never built anything that works. Wow, interesting. Ooh, I think this might be an episode in and of itself. We have, you have to write this one down. <laughs> but these people are involved in all kinds of shady goings on, and I don't like the looks of it. And um, I don't know. I'm just. I'm just. I just pulled up Drudge real quick to see if there was anything fresh. And sure enough, big new bold red Drudge headline virus lingers on surface for 17 days. Um, so again, they're just. Wait, is that real news or is that Drudge news? That's Drudge news. It's, but it's what, it's what all of the people are believing and how people are being built up into this foaming panic. And I was just lambasting uh, Bill Gates. I clicked through that headline. It's MSN.com. Is it really? <laughs> it is. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. And so, you know, again, this is, this is the, this is the problem as I see it. You can't unwind this thing. You're going to work people up into a foam that, um, that the charity will grow cold and that people will be narking each other out. Everybody will, will be suspicious of everyone else. What was it? I think I got an email from somebody who said that they were, they were out somewhere and they were with a, a little person like a toddler and the toddler did a sneeze, cough, snoff, something like that. And the, the person emailed in just said there were, I had people shooting daggers at me because my little person dared to, to sneeze or cough, you know? And so the charity will grow cold. And the other thing that I think that we'll see, and this is really, this is really angering. Th this is angering is that what you're going to see is you're going to see, um, you know, trad ink panic mongers start to say things like all of these saints who who did the right thing during times of plague who kept the churches open who kept the sacraments available to everyone who were a visible sign of of you know the church militant visible on earth and went out ministered to people there's a, there's many saints um and there are many saints in 
on the calendar, on the general calendar that you can see who get, you know, major commemorations and feasts and so forth during the year and who went out and ministered to um, the sick during times of plague and pestilence, actual plague and pestilence. And, you know, some of them died and their, you know, their death is considered a, a quasi martyrdom and they didn't die for the faith. So it's not, they weren't, it killed in malice over the faith, but you know, no, but they, they die for Christ in the sense that they're bringing Christ's truth to them. And I, right. I don't know if you saw the video by um, Father Isaac. Um, and if the listeners of this podcast are not familiar with Father Isaac, then uh, check the show notes for a link. This will be a treat. But he had a, a video where he was talking about COVID-19. And he was talking about the fact that if somebody needs the sacraments and, and calls on a priest who says that, hey, we're under lockdown, we can't come see you, that is objectively a mortal sin on the part of the priest to refuse to come see somebody who needs the sacraments. Yep. It's the it's the difference between having the faith and not having the faith. Exactly. And and we've we've um, I had it in my show notes here to talk about um, the, the bishops being willing accomplices to shut down the public sacrifice of the mass. Which, okay, I can kind of see that to a certain extent, but when they started shutting down adoration chapels, which Mm-hmm. Almost are never full. You never have, almost never have the magic number of ten, uh, which is the maximum that can be in a, in a confined space under the current stupid rules for uh, "Thou shalt not spread germs." Um, at this point, it's not about containing germs anymore. We are betraying Christ, and we have mentioned. Well, you have mentioned on the on the podcast before. What is one of the big revenue centers for bishops for dioceses these days? It's the federal government. Of course. It's so the, it's why, the top revenue center, yes. Yeah, why bite the hand that feeds you by, I don't know, standing for Christ once in a while? Because you'll lose those millions upon billions of dollars that flow through Catholic charities and all the other programs that you go through that also spreads condoms around the world, too. They're, they're middlemen. They're middlemen in the healthcare system. Oh, and, and human um, trafficking, too. And human trafficking. Those two things, it's completely dependent on the government. They have to stay in the good graces of the federal government. That's why somebody emailed me and said, well, I bet these bishops are sweating bullets because there's not going to be any more Sunday collection. I'm like, are you kidding me? The Sunday collection revenues are a joke. That is that is piddly walking around pocket change for for the Catholic Church today and for these bishops. They don't getting having the Sunday collection go away is not an issue for them at all. The issue that go ahead. I was gonna say that's like for the for three or four days between when the NCAA said we're going to have the tournament but nobody's gonna be in the arena to canceling it. People were saying, well how can you have the basketball games without having the arena full? It's like um hello Einstein the NCAA doesn't make money by ticket sales. It's oh, by no, the almost a yeah. billion dollars per year that ESPN and CBS are paying them to broadcast the games. As exactly. long as the games go out on TV, they're making their bank. Fans can be screwed. Who cares? Yep. yep. Follow the money always. And so um, what I think is, is, is already happening. I'm seeing a little bit of it, but it's going to get even worse is you're going to you're going to see that all of these saints real true saints not you know fake contemporary saints like we have today 
um, true saints are now going to be character assassinated and people are going to start saying, well, look, these people, they, they did all that and they went out and they ministered during times of plague and stuff because they were dumb and they didn't have, they didn't have the technological, the medical technological scientific knowledge that we have. If they had been smart like us. And whenever I hear this argument start, all I can hear is Fredo Corleone. I'm smart. I'm smart. You know, that's what, that's what echoes through my brain is, is Fredo Corleone. If those people had been smart like us and known all of the things that we know and had the deep knowledge that we know, they would have done exactly what we're doing. They would have shut all the churches. They would have suspended the public offering of the holy sacrifice. They would have barricaded themselves and isolated themselves inside their rectories. The only reason these saints did this isn't because they were virtuous. It's because they were dumb and they weren't smart like us. Mark my words. They're going to start tearing it all down. Yep. This goes back to what we were saying earlier about it's not a matter of intelligence that gets you to heaven. It's a matter of will. That's right. St. Thomas Aquinas is not in heaven because he has a prodigious intellect. It's because he had the will to love God and love Jesus and use his intellect to further that will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are lots of really smart people in hell. And there's lots of really, shall we say, not smart people in heaven because they love. It does not take intelligence to love. And what does Christ want from us? Your whole heart, mm-hmm. your whole mind, your whole will. Does he want exactly. your inventions? If they can help the cause and they flow from your love of Jesus, sure. But that's not the point. Right. Exactly. And so um, this whole business of tying these things up with technology, for example, um, that these questions then don't fall back exactly like you just said to a question of virtue. It falls back to a question of technology. This argument came up um, in 2008 when they were pushing Obamacare. And I remember um, the bishop in in Denver at the time was Chaput. And Chaput sent out this absolutely Marxist letter that every priest in the archdiocese had to read from the pulpit before the homily on whatever Sunday. And dutifully the, the fraternity priest there in Denver read this thing out, you know, while making, making not pulling bad faces, but you, you could, it was clear that uh, the priest did not share in the sentiments that, that Chaput was, um, was communicating and what Chaput said is that there has to be Obamacare. It was, it was agitating for Obamacare. Oh, so it wouldn't have been in 08. It would have been like in 09 because it was after, yeah, it was, it was after Obama got in. So it's in 2009. So um, uh, Chaput sends this letter out saying that healthcare is a human right. It's a right. Everybody has the right to healthcare. So I look at this text and I go home and I, uh, Chaput answers his email and he's, he's, he can be extraordinarily nasty. Um, oh, he's so wonderful. He's, well, he's wonderful if you've got money and you're flattering to him, but if you confront him, he's, he can be a very, 
very nasty man. So I draft this email, very short, less than 500 words, and says, look, there's an error in your premise here. You're saying that healthcare is a right, but Anything that is that is essentially a technology, first of all, anything that is contingent upon another human being having to provide it for you cannot be a right because no human being has the right to another human being, to their labor, to their expertise, to anything, because that would be slavery. You can't set up a paradigm where you can say one group of people has a right to the lives of another group of people or even individuals. So that's a false-based premise. And then the other false base premises is that things that are that are technological are are somehow a right. Rights are given by God. If you if you argue that any sort of technological paradigm is a right, well, that makes no sense. If you say I right now have the right to chemotherapy, let's say. I or I have the right to magnetic resonance imaging if I need it. Um, or want it. Well, what about everyone who existed before there was chemotherapy, before there was magnetic resonance imaging, any of these things? Does Does a person in, does a French peasant in the fifth century have the right to chemotherapy? What about my rights to teleportation? Exactly. Um, I want the right to every technology that has yet to be invented yet. I mean, you you see just how instantaneously this logically falls apart. And he sent me back a really nasty email. And again, I counted the words. I think it was 450 words in this email. And he sends back this email. And uh, I've heard this. I've heard this since. And he said, because your explanation is so long and convoluted, 450 words. I mean, my goodness, for me, 450 words is, it's like a paragraph. It's a, it's just a paragraph because your explanation is so long and convoluted. It's clearly invalid. I mean, this is, Shapu isn't exactly the brain trust either. Um, And so, you know, this whole notion that we're we're taking these technological paradigms and wrapping that up somehow with virtue. And well, if all of these saints had known what we know, they would have done all of this too. Um, no, they wouldn't have. They would not have. I can I can absolutely guarantee you that they would not. Um, so. Yeah, just more things to chew on and more things to keep your eyes open for. Well, whether this is the end times or not, I I don't think it's much debatable that this is a chastisement. Whether it's a great chastisement or a minor one, there's only so long you can go on contracepting billions of lives. I don't know. I don't know how many it is in the United States, especially when you have uh, contraception, which is abortifacient. Um, literally contrace- or literally aborting millions of lives, yep. ratifying sodomy. I mean, I've heard it said from the pulpit that if something doesn't happen before long, God is going to owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep. You know, maybe the chickens are coming home to roost. Maybe this is what we're seeing the beginning of. Well, I, I don't know. We could make a post out of this, and maybe we should solicit items for this post. Um, and that is... positive things that are no longer happening. Um, uh, The point is being made very justly and very validly that the amount of 
wildly illicit um, Novus Ordo masses that are being offered has now plummeted. Um, that's absolutely true. Because remember, mo- the vast majority of Novus Ordo priests, they have little to no comprehension of what the mass is. Most, I, th- I think it's safe to say this, the, the majority of no- Novus Ordo priests today do either do not know do not know or do not believe that the holy sacrifice of the mass is a sacrifice. They believe that it is a symbolic ritual at best that you do for the benefit of the people to make the people feel good. And so now when they're in this situation where you you can only offer the mass privately, not publicly, they, they have absolutely no comprehension. They say, well, that's ridiculous. You don't you don't say mass if there's nobody there to hear it. Why? Why do they say things like that? Because they have either no idea, no clue. It's never been brought up. It's never been taught to them in any way. And you say, Anne, how is that possible? I know. I, I still marvel at it. How could you dedicate your life to the priesthood? How could you dedicate your life to something and literally have no clue and no intellectual curiosity about what it is that you're even doing? But I, I, guys, I promise you, this is the situation with a lot of them. No idea what the mass is, no idea that it's a sacrifice. It's a symbolic ritual that we do. And so therefore, if you can't do it publicly, there's no reason in the world, in their minds, why you would do it at all. So don't kid yourself. These Novus Ordo priests, very few of them are saying private masses. I mean, they, a lot of them have said, I, I don't even know what how I would do that. Well, well, because they don't have the participation of the common priesthood of the people around them to help celebrate the uh, mass. Yeah, and I'm you. saying that I'm, I'm throwing yeah. up in my mouth as I say that. Yeah. It also reminds me of a, of a very snarky phrase I, I, I used to use in the early 2000s when I was uh, less charitable than I am now. That um, if I was going shopping for computer parts at Comp USA, and and the good-natured person there. Um, would try to educate me on things. And I look at him like, dude, I didn't come here to learn anything from you. I'm looking for a particular thing. And my snarkiness in saying this is I'm, I'm thinking about the good priests that come through this paradigm. They probably didn't go to the seminary to learn things. They probably had a really good, solid faith already in the love of Christ and wanted to become a priest. And they made it through in spite of what was going on in the seminary. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's kind of like Father Z's story. And that's the advice that he gives and he's been giving is keep your head down, self-educate and just get ordained. Now, that's that would be a a topic of another show in and of itself. But um, uh, yeah, so back to this idea of making a list of good things that are happening already as a result of this. Okay, the number of of the sign of peace, the end of the sign of peace, the illicit, uh, just the general illicit offering of masses, the the numbers of that have gone down tremendously. Um, Other good things, no more drag queen story hours. Um, One of my pet causes, there are now no longer sodomite tour guides crawling all throughout the Vatican museums and St. Peter's Basilica. And And I don't know what the readership thinks about me going off on this, but I am dead dead serious about this. And I've talked about this with people in Rome and we had kind of come to 
come to some sort of a conclusion given when, you know, the earthquake situation, there was an earthquake in Norcia several years ago that was bad. Um, and that was just kind of, that got everyone thinking, how do you do this? How do you purge this, this sodomitical paradigm and get these sodomite tour guides out of these churches and from defiling the Vatican museums and having the Vatican basically being turned into per the, per the Lenten readings, the, the, the den of den of money changers and a house of, of, of commerce. And so it's just a big business. It's a big mafia. How do you clear that out short of, and what we thought before this was it's either going to be earthquake or that caldera volcano that's down there under Naples that explodes or something. Oh yeah. Campus flagrari. Yeah. 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 It, it, even, it even sounds like the word conflagration. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, um, and the, kind of the conclusion that, that, uh, people that I talked to and contacts in Rome was, is that you're going to have to physically destroy this thing. Um, you're going to have to physically destroy the Sistine Chapel. You're going to have to physically destroy, or God is going to have to physically destroy St. Peter's in order to get these people, these sodomite tour guides and that whole mafia cleared out of there. Because there's so many of them and it's the only way. And now we're being, yay, we're being proved wrong. No, all of that has stopped. Now, does it reboot again? Now, and here's the question of, has this chastisement been enough? Well, all those sodomite tour guides and mafia people are sitting, waiting for the first opportunity for tourism to restart, for these buildings to reopen, and they'll be back in there. So as it stands now, no, I don't think the chastisement is enough, but we'll see how this um, we'll see how this plays out. But you can make a massive list of all the kind of good things that are going on. People are learning about making spiritual communions, um, and just having something taken away from you finally makes you um, realize that you need to appreciate what it is that you have when you have it, and being grateful for things that you have when you have it. Um, I think people are going to be very, very careful about falling into mortal sin. I made a post, I think it was yesterday, it just occurred to me real quick as I was sitting here about pornography. And I said, I got to put something up about pornography just because I was reading more about um, how the pornographers are using this as a moment to try to build their market share and build addiction, get people addicted for the first time, get the people who are already addicted to it, addicted to more hardcore stuff, just to advance their entire market and paradigm and how evil that is. So I'm going to make a post and just say, remember guys, if you're in this situation where, I mean, it was hard enough to get, to get a priest to hear your confession in a lot of places anyway, but if you do that now, if you do that now, it's it's Russian roulette, except in you know in Russian roulette the entire point is is that you're playing that the the odds that the bullet is not in the chamber when you pull the trigger. If you go engage and look at porn now at this point, you're what you're doing is worse than Russian roulette because the, you know that the bullet is in the chamber. You know it's in the chamber, and you are just I don't know. You're tempting God to an extent that you're saying, I'm going to do this. I have no idea when or if I'm going to be able to get access to the sacraments. Um, and so what? I'm just going to I'm going to play these odds and and hope that this all works out. And maybe there'll be some, you know, blanket 
absolution that comes out of the Vatican or something that that you know lets me lets me slide in. Um, this is and this is interesting. This is a point that's about specifically about the new catechism that nineteen what is it nineteen ninety two nineteen ninety three catechism. The the paragraphs on masturbation are absolutely horrible because they say two things that essentially that people. I can tell you, people use these two paragraphs to um, justify or at least significantly minimize the gravity of the sin of self-abuse. One thing that the New Catechism says is that um, if you're under stress, that mitigates your culpability for engaging in that. Uh, well, hell, a- anyone can make some excuse. Oh, yeah, I- I'm under stress. I have exams coming up. Uh, yeah, I- I'm under stress. I My job is this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyone can say they're under stress. And now in this situation, particularly that mindset of, oh, we're, we're all under stress. We're trapped in our houses. Okay, you're, if you engage in self-abuse, According to the catechism, if you're under stress, your guilt is mitigated. Ugh, not yeah, good. By the way, not it's not good. it's not removed. Even if technically you, you even if even if you say for the sake of argument that it's technically true that your guilt is mitigated, it's still a mortal sin, and you can it's go straight to hell. Sin. That's right. That's right. The other thing the new catechism says with regards to masturbation is that um, habituation mitigates culpability, which, hello, people look at that and say, well, that means if I do it more, I'm less guilty. Habituation also means you cannot be forgiven by a priest in, in the confessional. If you are an habitual offender, you have no amendment of life. And the priest, if he understands that, is forbidden from giving you absolution. And if he's not aware of that and you're in a habitual state, then absolution has no effect. And or saying things like, "Well, try to do it less. Try try to try to scale back." Uh, what? No, no. To uh, see people read into that, people read all of these things into that, and it just it makes it considerably worse. So, yeah, absolutely, the ninety three catechism, notwithstanding the things that anti Pope Bergoglio has attempted to put into it, um, there it already has some pretty significant problems. So yeah, just, just use Trent, just use Trent. (laughs) And yeah, that's a good point about the fact that uh, it's going to be more difficult, at least for the time being while we're on, while most of us are on lockdown here in the United States uh, to be able to get to the sacraments, to get a confession that will give you pause in the same sense that if you are operating without a safety net, you're going to be a little more careful about what you're doing. Um, Y'all need to think about the fact that you have no guarantee let's say none of this corona crap happened at all and we're just steaming along and having an awesome economy and everything you got no guarantee you're going to live to see the sunrise tomorrow that's right you could have a brain aneurysm yeah you could do it don't do stupid things i mean don't gamble with your eternity yep 
ask yourself, what do I believe here? Um, and if you're, if you're willing to, to gamble like that with eternal damnation, I think what you need to do is sit down and ask yourself, wait a minute, do I actually really believe in any of this? Or do I have, am I operating in the back of my head in the subconscious or even more forward than subconscious? But, um, Am I operating on the assumption that the worst case scenario, as anti-Pope Bergoglio preaches, that the worst case scenario for a human soul is that if if at the moment of their death, they don't make it to the beatific vision, that they are then just annihilated. And it's really no harm, no foul. That's why I've been saying for years, soul annihilation is one of the most dangerous, insidious evil heresies. And when anti-Pope Bergoglio started talking about that and started preaching soul annihilation to that, that communist Italian, um, the Scalfari. journalist Scalfari, when he started, when he started preaching that, that was, Oh man, that is one of the most insidious heresies there is. Everybody can kind of sort of slip into it. And I think it's also a reason why, People think that, no, you shouldn't proselytize um, and fall for all that. It's all tied up together. Because what happens if we don't proselytize these people? What happens if we don't preach the gospel? Well, you know, it didn't work out for them. That Their souls will just be anno- anno- annihilated. No harm, no foul. Um, that's what we tell ourselves. And that's how we convince ourselves that, that um, we don't need to be preaching the gospel, spreading the gospel. And that's how people are absolutely delighted to hear anti-Pope Bergoglio say, no, proselytism is a terrible sin. Um, Don't do it. Don't do it. Because people would prefer not to. And they just want to be comfortable in this idea that the worst case it'll happen to all these people out on the street that you pass every day. Yeah, they're probably just going to end up snuffed out of existence at the moment of their death. And unfortunately, that is not the case. And if if you believe in soul annihilation, you are not Catholic. There, You cannot claim to be Catholic if you believe in soul annihilation, period, full stop. So you got to start asking yourself some pretty serious questions if that mindset is creeping in or is actively present in your mind. What do I believe here? What do I believe? It is given to men to live once and then to be judged and uh, be given their, their justice for all eternity. Eternal. We're all immortal. You are never going to cease to exist. And yeah, for some people, that's a terrifying thought. It's probably the most terrifying thought. You will never cease to exist. Now, for for those who are who are striving for and looking forward to the beatific vision, it's one of the most consoling things that there is in the world. If you're living in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, yeah, I can imagine that that's the most terrifying thought you could possibly have. You will always exist. You are a rational intellect. You don't get snuffed out of existence. You're going to end up somewhere, baby. And it's never, existence is never, ever going to end because you are now grafted into, God has given us life. And so we're grafted into existence and there's no getting out of it. You cannot, you cannot quote unquote, make the pain end or anything like that. It's, it's either eternal beatitude or eternal damnation. You will exist for eternity, but you could be dead in your eternal existence. And if that sounds like a contradiction, it's not one you want to find out for real. Exactly. 
And on that happy thought, since we're almost ah. two hours in, um, I didn't I didn't even get through all. Well, let's see, what didn't I get through here? Um, oh, live streaming of masses. I do want to talk about this real quick. Oh yeah, let's let's assemble a list for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. Okay. Yeah, in I'll, fact, I'll, we should I'll, start a website. Don't you think it would be it wouldn't be too difficult for you to snap up a, a catchy domain and we'll and we can just start, you know, posting these listings to that. Is that You mean like uh, livemass.net? Are are they keeping it up? Is it up to date? Well, that's 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 run by some uh, fraternity of St. Peter uh, groups uh, around the world. And uh, my understanding is that they that is one of the places to look. Um, the Institute of Christ the King at their National Shrine in uh, Chicago. Um, they're doing live streams. I want to say the Institute uh, St. Francis de Sales in St. Louis, they're starting to do live streams. Um, you had something on the blog that um, I, I helped organize there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I coordinated with uh, the folks at Audio Sancto to they somebody had, had said hey i want to live stream a mass but you have to have a thousand people uh signed up uh on your account to be able to live stream from your phone and of course yes there was feedback saying well you could just do it from a computer and yeah that wasn't possible for them they needed to do this from a phone we hit the thousand very quickly and they did live stream their their mass sunday morning so that was awesome um there's there's uh, some fraternity. The I saw that the SSPX had a had a live stream going. I, I tuned in the first morning. They had that, and it was uh, a work in progress. Let's say that I, I didn't mm -hmm. check in later, but I think they probably improved that. There are a lot of uh, live streams. I don't know if there's a. I don't think there's a, a comprehensive list. That would be an awesome idea, and I've written that down. And um, if I can find something, I'll put it in the show notes. But please don't barrage me on email. Actually, you know what? Go ahead and email me. I might have yeah. more information by the time, if you don't see it in the show notes, um, email at supernerdmedia.com. Um, I'll, I'll send back links of, of what I know. Um, but a lot of them are showing up very quickly. And that's something talking about, we, we've mentioned in the past how YouTube hates stuff they can't monetize. This is definitely something they can't monetize. That we're, we're talking about um, divine worship. Um, mm -hmm. How do you sell ads on that? Um, yeah. But set aside that, that aspect for a minute. We talk about every time in, in the pot, the Barnhart podcast wrap up to join your intentions with the priests who are offering the masses. Mm -hmm. It's, it's easy to forget at times that there are always masses happening around the world. Like right now, even traditional yeah. Latin masses, as rare as they are in comparison, there are always masses happening. Mm -hmm. And so no matter where you are, stop Join your pre your 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 thoughts uh, and prayers with the priest offering the mass right this minute, and and make a spiritual communion. What live streaming does is allow you to see. Yes, it's happening right now. Well, ten seconds ago, forty seconds ago, there's a little bit of delay involved, but it's happening right now. I can see it. I can hear it. I can almost smell the incense. Mm -hmm. And so, it's not the same as being in the chapel. Um, there's a question I meant to ask to some priests and if there are some priests listening, I'd like to know the answer to this. I know that when, if you watch, uh, live the Pope do the Urbi at Orbi blessing and there's, 
I'm saying live in air quotes. You can't see me doing this because it's a podcast. We're not doing video. But live is understood to include network delay. So if you're watching a, a, a stream on the internet and the Pope is doing his Urbi at Orbi and you're not seeing it for another 75 seconds, you still get the effects of the grace as though you were in St. Peter's to get the, or St. Peter's Square to, to get the blessing with the throngs there. Or as it's happening this week, nobody's in the square. But the, the point is, during the Mass, and you mentioned this, uh, I don't know if it's in the last podcast or if it was in the, the blog posts, that there are nine different times during the Mass that um, venial sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. I am curious, if you are actively following a live stream Mass, if those graces apply to the live event as opposed to watching the replay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the answer to that, and I haven't thought to ask. Um, it's just um, reassuring to be able to uh, look at the various uh, um, opportunities to go watch a, a mass live and, and and to know that at literally every moment there's a mass being said someplace. Yeah. So from that perspective, the live masses are great. Uh, I should say the live streams are great because it reinforces something you probably knew academically, but you literally get to see it and hear it at that point. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's great. Um It'll be even better when you can go in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing, nothing, um, nothing can replace that. And maybe something that'll come out of this. You, you've mentioned um, not going to communion every time you go to mass um, builds the expectation for when you can go to communion. That's right. Um, the the opportunity to go to communion right now for while we're in lockdown is going to be rare. And prepare yourself with expectation with with earnest loving expectation that if something pops up next thursday that uh you could go to mass and, and receive communion or just just receive communion without necessarily going to mass prepare yourself now in the mm-hmm. same sense that we always should be prepared to die and make a rendering make an account of our life to almighty god in the state of our soul at the moment be prepared to receive communion in case the opportunity pops up one of the great things about Digital communication is might get an email from Father saying, "I'm if you can make it to the chapel in the next 35 minutes, I can give you communion." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to fast all day, but it is Lent, so there is a nice overlap there. So, just a thought. I mean, just a thought. Just there, a thought. there, there are some silver linings to this if if you want to look for them. And, you know, I, I, I saw the meme that uh, somebody posted. It's like, I wasn't expecting to give up this much for Lent. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it, can be, it can be good for the soul to, to give up more than you were expecting. So. Oh, yes, absolutely. And one, one point I do want to make quickly, um, talking about how I, I think that certainly graces are flowing for people who are um, watching masses streaming it's obviously suboptimal but uh, i think it's safe to say that yeah there are, there are graces flowing from that what i would encourage people to not do is there's talk about um uh confession over the phone and things like that that's invalid i would not do that at all no yeah uh, no I don't think that can, there's no way to, to properly theologi- theologically argue that that could possibly be a valid confession. I was about to say something and then I realized I am not qualified to say it um, in, in terms of what, how, how that works in canon law. But, as, but I, I, I am certain in the fact that 
you have to be physically present. You don't have to be able to be touched by the priest, like reach out and touch your, your head while giving you a, a, a blessing. Yeah. But um, I think if there is the reasonable expectation or the knowledge that the communication that's happening between priest and penitent is being intercepted, mm -hmm. that there could be a question of, of validity. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's actually 100% true. Um, and I, I, I don't think that's true. It's highly immoral. No, mm -hmm. no agent of the state should be recording that. I mean, in, in, in the case that comes to mind, I think it was in Oregon back in the 90s, um, some guy was arrested for something and he, he wanted to um, talk to a priest and, and have confession and they had to do that whole jailhouse thing where they got the bulletproof glass and the and telephone the type phones, things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because it wasn't a lawyer and it wasn't a doctor, the state recorded it and it was a, it was a confession and they finally sealed the record saying this can't be introduced in court, but they still had the recording. Yeah. Uh, prosecution and defense had access to it, had listened to a sacramental uh, confession. Oh. And um, you might not be surprised about this, but the, the diocese didn't put up as vigorous of a fight as they should have about this. No, what are you talking about? I'm shocked. Yeah. I think yeah. priests, if they know they can be overheard or not to hear confessions, and I had a discussion with a priest, and this is, I mean, it, it was, it's humorous in a sense because of, because of um, the circumstances, but it was also deadly serious. Having a conversation, this has been over 15 years ago, with a priest, I was talking with him about um, FBI surveillance capabilities and how um, there was a recent mob case where the FBI had wiretapped mob bosses, even though their flip phones were off. Yes, this was before smartphones where you couldn't actually take the battery out of the phone. These phones, you could take the battery off, but these guys thought they were safe because they turned the phone off, but they could still listen. They, they could remotely turn on the microphones on these phones. Mm -hmm. And so the idea being that every cell phone is an active bug, either yep. really or potentially. And when I was mentioning this to the, to the priest, I just thought this was a kind of an interesting thing to, to mention to him because I'm a geek and I talk about technology. He went absolutely white when I told him this. I'm like, uh, Father, are you okay? And I realized he what he was realizing is he always mm -hmm. used his phone and confession as, as, as a timepiece to say, is it time to wrap up and go say mass? And he realized he's got an active bug sitting in his lap that can listen to confessions. Yep. And he was one of these people in the 90s who was very active in the pro-life scene and may or may not have been on the Clinton hit list for people to monitor. So... Yep. Yeah, priests, don't take your phones into the confession, please. Don't take and, your phones into the confessional. And no. non-priests going to confession, don't take your phones into the confessional. Yep. Oh, goodness. What a world. Have a little bit of faith in the people in the church that they won't steal your phone. And if they do, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yep. Well, usually there's someone around that you could, even if it's someone that you don't even know, there's someone else in the church. If you walked up and said, could you hold my phone for a few minutes? I'm sure they would be happy to do that. I mean, other human beings are not, uh, are not poison or scary or anything. Most of them you can go up to and speak to and even ask them to do you a small favor and they will. So, Or yeah. in these times, just cough on your phone, then set it down and then go to the confession. Nobody's going to touch that thing. Yep. So the, the alternative approach. 
Okay, we are officially over two hours. I think we need to officially wow. wrap this. All right, let's do it. Uh, the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or say, hey, Super Nerd, where's the list of all the live masses? Is podcast, actually, no, forget that last part. It's the feedback, comments, suggestions, questions, podcast at barnhart.biz. If you want to pester me about, I'm sorry, ask me about um, a list of live masses, that's email at supernerdmedia.com. Um, you know what? Use either one. Uh, if, if, if Ann has to relay it to me, I'll get it. Um, masses for Ann's benefactors, at least one mass every day, whether it's public or private. Um, sometimes two, sometimes three. These are happening mm-hmm. every single day. Uh, please pray for the priests. And how many, how many people died in Italy? Uh, I see the numbers continue to go up. I saw that, um, uh, I think it was today was the first time that deaths in the United States from coronavirus topped 100. Um, there's a requiem mass that happens every single week for everybody who died in the previous week. Um, please remember all the priests in your prayers. I mean, what's, what's the death count for priests now in, in Italy? It's over 20. And I saw a news story that today that one of the priests who well, probably could have more than that, but I mean, look at how many elderly priests there are. And there's a lot of elderly priests up there in the North of Italy. Um, it's not surprising at all that there would be, that there would be at this point, quiet dozens of priests that have died of this. I mean, but again, like I said, lots and lots of elderly priests, the the demographics there skews way, way to the to the elderly side. So well something we do really well in the West with medical technology is keep people alive who would have died otherwise. That's right. And so <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not surprising that we're going to have non-trivial death rates from from COVID nineteen hitting people who probably would have died 10 years ago if we didn't have Western medicine at the level we have right now. And I'm not, I'm not being, I, I hope I'm not coming across as trite in that, re, that respect, but these are people who aren't, don't have a solid grasp on life anyway. I mean, whether it's a one lunged Pope, um, hoping he doesn't get pneumonia or a one lunged Senator from Kentucky who hopes he doesn't get pneumonia. Um, you don't want these people, you know, coming down with COVID-19 if you can avoid it. But, you know, people who are in their 80s, overweight, with emphysema and heart conditions, it is a miracle of modern science that they aren't dead already. And so people, half of the people who are dying in Italy, um, and by the way, there's a precision that was made and I caught it. I have a screen cap of it and it was immediately deleted. The Italians say are saying they freely admit that what they're reporting are people who have died with coronavirus, but not from coronavirus. Half of the people in Italy who are dying have at least three, three comorbidities. And so what that means is exactly what Super Nerd said. We're looking at people who might be simultaneously diabetic, um, uh, cancer, and some and something else. Three comorbidities. So um, I'll be writing about that probably today or tomorrow. Or but, put it in, put it another way: if we roll back the the clock a hundred years, these are people who would be twenty five years in purgatory already. That's absolutely yeah, absolutely. They'd be uh, on, dead on, for twenty five years. Yeah, on the positive yep. side of it. Yep. Anyway, all these people who are dying, uh, regardless of whether it's a car accident or COVID-19 or people yep. who died in a car accident because somebody died from COVID-19 while drawing. Anyway, there's there's a, a, a requiem for them 
every single week. Please pray for these priests. They can catch COVID-19 too and be taken out of commission. So whether it's that or I don't know, the um, American Gestapo saying there's more than 10 people here at this mass. We need to arrest you. I don't yeah, know. Pray exactly. for the priests. They've got targets on their heads, and Satan wants to deal with them. That's right. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something in, of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for the mailing address, or it's in the show notes as well. I don't remember if I thanked Paul in the last podcast, but if I did, and he gets double credit again because <laughs> I don't, I don't know if anyone donated because I've been socially isolating myself from the mailbox of late. So uh, he gets double uh, executive producer credits for this one. So thank you, Paul. Again, I uh, will let you do Matthew seventeen twenty. Matthew seventeen twenty intention, and this doesn't stop. Pause, and if anything, um, circumstances are evolving such that. This situation could resolve in ways that none of us could have even possibly uh, fathomed just a few uh, a few days or weeks ago. Matthew seventeen twenty intention is of course fourfold that um, anti pope Bergoglio is publicly recognized and removed as anti pope and the whole thing is nullified. That Pope Benedict the sixteenth Ratzinger is pub- publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of two thousand five. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And that Pope Benedict the sixteenth Ratzinger repent of anything he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Go big or go home. Amen. And until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 